This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. So, Chris. Yes, Jeff. The Undertaker in the build to WrestleMania. Uh, John Cena calls him out for months. Mm-hmm. And this guy doesn't appear. Leaves us hanging. Leaves us wondering if he's going to be at WrestleMania. Some geek Australian promoter calls Triple H. All of a sudden, The Undertaker appears. What's up with that? John Cena didn't have the money right. Shake Them Ropes, episode 282. Jeff Hawkins here. Along with, once again, filling in for the always absent Rob McCarron, Mr. Chris Novembrino. Hi, Chris. Hi, Jeff. I like to think of myself as a high-quality Rob substitute. I, I like to think of you as the, uh, as, as you know, if, if, if the teacher went on maternity leave, you'd be the long-term substitute coming in. I had one of those back when I was in, I believe, elementary school, and Same. that ended up being really cool. Uh, ended up getting downgrade for me. I went from a great teacher to someone who just absolutely hated my guts. <laughs> um, but let's see. We have the aftermath of SummerSlam. The Shield is back. Becky Lynch explains her actions. Triple H and The Undertaker are going to go one last time in Australia. Stephanie is getting her arm broken again. Where do you want to start? I want to start with Kurt Hawkins. <laughs> Cousin Kurt? Come on, man. Why? He's, he's the shape of the family. You know, Jeff, I thought you could at least get into a little bit of family matters here. Don't be like Urkel. Look, I, I, I love Kurt Hawkins uh, as, as a gimmick, but the name is like I, I, I can only wear He only gets that one shirt, and I don't want to buy it. He goes. He's a Mets fan, which makes it even worse. I just—it's it, one of those things where it's like I can't make excuses anymore. And I love the fire up, but the crowd didn't follow him on the fire up. I was just like, oh man, this is the Zack Ryder. You've killed him for so long, he can't even get a hometown pop spot. I really did like the fire up. I, I think that the I crowd started to realize that he was supposed to be having a competitive match and telling a story here, but it was a little too late. Also, it was a little bit out of nowhere, but maybe week two they can get that thing on track. Mm, I don't think there's going to be a week two. I got news. Really? Okay. Yeah, okay. I don't think they're going back to this. I don't okay. think he's coming back out. <laughs> Interesting. Well, I feel like there's going to be some sort of redemption arc for Kurt Hawkins, but you're saying not at all that they're just going to abandon ship on that storyline. Um, I, I see. I could see them giving him a banana peel win over Elias with the help of right, right. Elias I th- is this is his big hill to next, climb, and then and then and then and then forget it. You right. Know? Yeah, no, I don't think it goes anywhere beyond that, but I think that he does get the win over Elias. I think that's what we're building to. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So where do you want to pick up from there? I, I was more joking, but now that we've checked that box off, do you want to talk about the Shield Reformation? I actually want to start with Becky Lynch because okay, let's Twitter do Becky. was blowing up today. Twitter was blowing up today and also the past couple days about about this. There's some controversy, Jeff. This is a bit of a hot topic. I don't I don't understand the hotness of the topic. It's more like Me neither. I understand that we wanted to cheer for Becky and we thought it might be a a a baby face, you know, just standing up for herself thing and they may pivot after here, but you know, WWE, they got their plan and they're gonna go with it. Um I just their internal logic is also skewed. So you have kind of everybody here a little bit wrong and a little bit right because from the, from the mouth of the road dog himself the story here is that they were climbing the same mountain and both got to the top at the same time and charlotte just happened to be a little bit stronger because see becky beat carmella and charlotte beat carmella ergo they're on the same plane but that's not true that's just that's not the story they've been telling on TV. Becky has been on there for six weeks, running through this division, building a winning streak to get there. Charlotte comes back, 
and gets the one match against Carmella. And Carmella's gimmick is she can't win a match fairly because she's not very good. That's her gimmick, not necessarily her personally, before anybody jumps down my throat. And so she's on an even plane with it when we've invested a month or so on Becky getting these wins. And we're now supposed to be mad at Becky for attacking her friend. When, when possibly the smarter route to go would be Charlotte backs out of the one-on-one match and Becky may lose and then Charlotte goes in and wins and then Becky attacks her as opposed to the three-way. I just, it, it, I understand the whole, um, well, you see, you got, Becky's getting a push because she's, she's now in the main event women's spot on SmackDown as a heel. I go, well, okay, it is, but at the same time, I think most people who watch WWE for any length of time me especially, who's been around for since, you know, since Moses. Heels in the WWE are cowardly and aren't competent. And I think what people really want out of this is badass Becky Lynch in some ways. They want her to be competent and a heel, and that's just not a story that the WWE tells that well. Or that often, they don't even really attempt to tell that story on the main roster all that often. Because I think what people want is Becky has lost her mind and now she just wants to beat the hell out of Charlotte. But you can go to the way that they had the brawl after the promo. So Becky delivers this big promo. We can circle back to the promo here in a second. But like, look at the way that brawl was staged. Becky was trying to get away through the crowd, and that makes no sense with the story they're trying to tell here. I, th- I think it's even a little bit deeper than that. I think there's a certain segment of fandom who has followed the horsewomen through NXT and up to the main roster who have been waiting for Becky to have her moment. I think that's totally and, right. And, and because... When you look at Becky's career, she's had two great matches on there. And the last one was that WrestleMania three-way where Charlotte won. And and the one before that was in, I think, May of 2015. The the NXT, uh, it wasn't called TakeOver. It was, and I don't know if it was a rival. I forgot the name of it. But I think Kev, it was Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn at the same time. But Becky Lynch fought... Sasha for the NXT women's title and she got over in defeat. Yeah. And that's where yes. she really that's where she really you know, she solidified herself as, you know, part of this central core group of women's wrestlers. And the problem is the problem is ever since all of them in one way or another have been brought up to the main roster, the only one who's really been taken care of is Charlotte because Becky and Sasha were kind of used to put over Paige and Nikki Bella and Charlotte in the, in the three way, three way, you know, PCB feuds and things of that nature. And even in the, in the three way that ended up after that, Sasha could always retain her heat because she was such an, she had such a good will from NXT and she came off as such a great character when she was brought up to the main roster because she had that kind of swag. And then she she got a chance to have these great matches with Charlotte on the main roster. Bailey had the Brooklyn 1 and the Iron Iron Woman matches and also the Oscar feud. She had the goodwill, came up, they blew it with her in so many ways because of their biases from from between what they want out of a main roster wrestler and what a great wrestler is in my opinion. But they think they can heat her up back at any time. But Becky really hasn't had that moment other than the being the first, being that SmackDown women's champ. But she really didn't have anybody on that roster to give her that great, you know, say 15-minute match where you go, all right, now she has one of those matches that, you know, people are going to remember forever. She really hasn't had that. And I think that's what... There's a certain facet of that Brooklyn crowd, that Brooklyn kind of smarky crowd, most of whom probably went to NXT TakeOver, what they want out of it. And really, they apparently want it now. So to backtrack to the promo here, I think that you can see that the writers realize that they have a problem on their hands 
at least in Brooklyn, but I would suspect that this might travel in having Becky be somebody that people actually want to boo. Okay, explain. Well, I think that the opening of the promo, she had to really go out of her way to establish that the fans weren't there, and they had to make her have really unreasonable expectations of the fans in order to get it to be this betrayal of the fans. Like, the fans betrayed her expectations because her expectations became inordinately unreasonable, but you saw the fans continue to cheer for her basically until she made it impossible. But she had to go so far to get it there. I just think that's the miscalculation here. Well, yes. Because the fan because because the fans were always behind her and and they're thinking, oh, they'll boo her because it's not true. And I'm like, no, the angle here is that Charlotte stepped on her moment and that a real friend would have never done that. But the fear there is, of course, Becky's right in some way in that thing, but you have to then build it up until it becomes, all right, now she's being unreasonable about Charlotte taking an opportunity that was handed to her. That's the route you kind of should have gone there as opposed to you fans never liked me, which is just such a, you know, it's the you people thing that heels do all the time. And it's just, it's, it's, it's contrived and it's ridiculous as opposed to, Especially from Becky. And and it tells you that they know they have a problem on their hands because they didn't even bother to have Charlotte come out and say anything. She just came out and attacked Becky. And yes, on a narrative level, it makes sense because Becky attacked her. But writing-wise, they didn't give Charlotte anything to say because they knew that if Charlotte said anything, there's a real danger of her getting booed out of the building. Well, the unfortunate thing to me is I think there is a way now where you could make Becky a great heel and somehow really build her up as something. But I, I, you know, I think they're ahead of this. I think they see that Becky's going to be there to build up Charlotte because, and, and this will go into, to the next promo, but, but there's a nice juxtaposition here where on raw Ronda Rousey came out and told Stephanie, I only break arms of people who deserve it. If you on SmackDown had Becky just start tearing women's arms off yes. because she felt like it. And you could build that to the Evolution pay-per-view for a match with Rousey. That would be spectacular. But the problem is I think they've already, I mean, I I think the fix is going to be in on this one for Stephanie eventually talking the Bellas into not being so nice-nice with with Ronda anymore. Um, To pivot over to that, I, I loathe everything about this segment and and i understand what they were trying to do it just did not none of it worked for me because the disconnect there is you have all these women standing around as they always do when stephanie has these types of things and then it's like ronda's the one to say hey you people are geeks why are you taking this from from stephanie and it's which like, puts them in a weird place because ronda's the champion so now ronda's saying a good thing which sort of diffuses any tension that she might have with future opponents i just it's a weird move for the champion to have to say well that that and it makes everybody in that division look weak absolutely like you like like you don't think you don't think sasha banks in character is coming out there to possibly backstab Rhonda at some point and go yeah i want the title at some point during your little speech and yeah i would have I, I could I could take on Stephanie, you know, whatever. And then then you also have the disconnect of Babyface Ronda, who everybody loves, you know, breaking Stephanie's arm almost unprovoked. <laughs> it's just like it's a it's a weird. Hey, I'm one of you now. I'm gonna break the boss's arm. I'm just like, whoa, okay. It, it got the pop in there because Stephanie's always good. Stephanie's no matter what Rob McCarran says. Stephanie is always going to be an uber heel, even when she's trying to be sincere. And it was just one of those things where I'm just like, Rhonda shouldn't be the one giving this promo. It should be like a locker room leader in some way giving this promo and then letting Rhonda, you know, kind of go in and go, I'm one of the women in this locker room now, Stephanie. I back their play here. I I, I just the disconnect for me was a little staggering. I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. 
Yeah, I, I don't like it. I'm with you that at some point I think Stephanie is going to go to Nikki Bella and Natty and have them stab Rhonda in the back. I I think that this setup, it, it sort of works for the heels. Like when the heels console the boss at the end, I guess that part works. But Rhonda having <laughs> to explain, you know, why Natty is relevant and why the Bellas are so relevant, that's actually also why I think it's going to be them. Like th- those are the people that she put over. Um, I, I don't know, man. The whole thing. It was long, too, is the other part. Not unlike what her husband did, which was better, but also very, very long. Yeah. um, Triple H comes out. Uh, You know what? The the beginning and the end of the promo I really dug, but just the... He gets into it eventually. Yeah, and I think it's also one of those weird things where he's reading the crowd while he's doing this promo... And he doesn't want to come off too heelish because he's the NXT daddy and he's still getting those types of cheers. But at the same time, he doesn't want to come off as the game, you know, and and come off too heelish while also giving this uh, the, the promo itself. I, I don't care for because I never care for them. Always reminded me how much better the Attitude Era was than wrestling now. And and how how much how 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 much better everything was then, and this this really can't the today can't really stand up to it. It was like Mount Rushmore used to wrestle. I'm still fascinated that they build up cards on Raw for events in Australia, but I guess with the network, that's kind of a driving thing. Even though that's not for a few weeks yet, um, but overall, you know, I I like it. It's just it's so. <laughs> you know, Vince Vince came back and begged me to come fight the Undertaker as if Triple H isn't on the knocking on the door going, "You know what, Vince? You know what? None of these other guys are draws. I could I could do that for you." You know, that kind of thing. I'm just like, "Yeah, I I somehow don't believe that he had to be had his arm twisted to go go work a main event at a stadium show in Australia." Yeah, exactly. There's the novelty. I, I the show I'm sure will be fine. Super Showdown is not exactly the greatest name even for WWE standards. No, and it's going to be it's going to be a glorified house show in Australia, I think. I don't think it's going to be, you know. Oh, you like you think it's not going to be greatest Royal Rumble and it's going to be more like Beast in the East. Um yeah, I'm 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 leaning towards that although Greatest Royal Rumble wasn't uh you know, th- there are some people who, who who had a few easy nights on that card. So the main oh, the main three through line on Raw was the closing of a continuity uh thing and Perhaps the beginning of another as Finn Balor gets his long awaited <laughs> three years in the making title shot. It's so funny that they can't remember other title shots except for this one. This is the one title shot that, for whatever yeah. reason, has stuck in everyone's memories and it has been an important part of Finn Balor's character at various points narratively. I'm thinking it sticks in Vince's craw that he ever gave him the belt. It's like, I gave this guy the belt? That's how I think it is. I think it's almost kind of like a rib. It's like, oh, God, dang, now I gotta give him a rematch because he never lost it. Damn it, I still haven't forgotten about the time that I gave him the belt and then he lost the belt within 24 hours. It's a bad Vince. (laughs) The Return of the Shield, um, which... Uh, uh, Braun Strowman comes out, does the usual. I'm gonna, I'm gonna cash into your face, even though you're gonna be tired after doing a championship match. You know what? Here's what I'm thinking, Jeff. I'm thinking with that, eventually there's going to be a swerve where Braun Strowman attacks from behind. He keeps saying it. I think that that's the twist. That when he finally cashes in, he does it from behind. Well, we have the shield back. And, you know, it's interesting you say that, because who was the Shield's most anticipated program against? The Wyatts. Bray's not doing anything, because Jeff's going to be gone, or uh, Matt's going to be gone, and Luke Harper just happens to have lost his partner lately. I'm thinking, I'm thinking you're right on that. I'm thinking we may see a Wyatt reunion here to take on the Shield at some point, but... Uh, here, here's my question because it's so interesting that they're so they're, they're so 
uh, dead set on making Becky a heel against Charlotte as opposed to letting the audience take it where it takes it. Yet they've brought back the shield here against a guy who's very popular in brawn. And they're kind of like letting the the crowd go where they want to go with it. Yeah, I, I think the intrigue of brawn, the man monster man, fighting the shield is immense although I, I obviously it can't be three on one I don't think that there's an easy way to book that type of match where everyone comes out looking good so Braun eventually has to have seconds and I think eventually he has to go heel I don't know if that's the right move but I think that's where we're going well I, I just don't know who they're trying who ultimately in the end they're trying to get over that's a good question, too. I mean, I'm assuming that the tag belts are coming off of the B team and ending back up on the shield probably sooner rather than later here. But where do we go from there once they've assembled all of the belts again? Well, this is what's so weird about it. They spent all this time trying to get Roman, you know, the conquering hero, the, the workman's champion. And now they're going to have the sh- his buddies in the shield come out and protect him from Braun, who's uber popular. They just had Seth Rollins possibly on the hottest streak of his career, and he's getting cooled down to be kind of second banana here in the Shield, even though the Shield's still... Look, the Shield's popular, don't get me wrong. But as a... I mean, who's going to be... Is Seth the leader of the Shield again with, with Roman the Heavy? I don't think so. And then you have Dean, who you just reintroduced, who you're trying to build back up as somebody different. Now back in this kind of stable where everybody remembers him as being the cool one. And I, I expect Dean to eventually turn on Seth at some point because he never forgot. I, I figure that's going to be the logic they use, and that's fine. But it, it's just very, very odd that I guess... Because nothing matters in the second half of the year for WWE, because after SummerSlam, it's all kind of silly season. And someone you true. can do things like this. It's just weird that, that the guys who were going to be cooled down were the guys who were kind of on the come th- this whole time in Seth and, and Dean and even and Braun. Braun. At some yeah, point. I was going to say. And, yeah. so, and you were trying to get Roman over. So you've sort of put all four of these guys who are very hot into a program where they're all a bit of a heat sink for one another. Yeah, it, it's very odd. And, and unless they draw some lines, and I don't think they're going to, because I don't. I mean, they may turn Braun heel. But everybody's chanting. But is to get that these the hands. right? Right. Everyone likes Braun, so is that even the right move? And then you turn him heel, and then what? I don't think people like Roman. I, I think that's the other elephant in the room here, which is that you have the shield reassembled to give Roman a shield yet again. And that's fine, but you've already illustrated the problems with who's the leader of the Shield and who's calling the shots, and really, what's their agenda? And, I mean, I'm not talking, you know, the NXT, we're here to cause chaos agenda. Like, what are these guys back together for? Yeah, I think it's I think it's to protect the belt, and that's right. fine, but that that's a, that's kind of a heelish, uh, heelish uh, dynamic there. It's like, you know, like the horsemen were there to protect the belt for flair, ultimately. Right. And, and you're kind of... I mean, it's. I think they're going for the Rock Cena dynamic here, where half the crowd will cheer. You know, the the the, the men will cheer for Braun, and the women and children will cheer for Roman. But it, but it's just weird because Roman kids love Braun though. Yeah, well, it's weird because also because people will boo Roman, but they love Dean and Seth. So right. it's gonna be one of those things where it's like they're gonna be chanting for the other guy to tag in. During this, it's it's just so it it leaves so much to chance, and that's just not a WWE move. They really like certainty, and I think that this is volatile, even for someone like me who likes a little bit of volatility and a little bit of well, let's see where the crowd takes this, and let's let the crowd tell us where to take the story because I mean. It's a series of left and right turns, really. Like, I mean, this is wrestling. Like, the storytelling tends to be fairly binary-ish, and the crowd can give you a good signal as to what kind of story they want told, like with Becky and Charlotte. Yeah, definitely. Um, before we 
end on the main roster. Let's uh, let's hit the other two other shows on in WWE canon. We got the prologue for NXT Takeover Brooklyn Four with our pre-show matches: uh, Bianca Belair versus the returning Diana Perazzo, the virtuosa, playing up the virtuosa gimmick of <laughs> strings, which I howled at, and also uh, the UK title match between Pete Dunne and Zach Morgan. Um, I am a I am a strong supporter of Bianca Belair. Oh, I know this. And I, I thought that the Bianca Belair and Deanna Perrazzo match was something you could totally sink your teeth into. I liked it, too. Uh, I hope Deanna Perrazzo does not bring back the maestro gimmick. Uh, no, she's. this is what she's going to be doing. <laughs> not maestro, but but it's going to be very, very close. I, I'm joking. I, I like I'm this joking. match. Oh, I know. I know. I know. I, I just... Uh, <laughs> I want to know what happened to the maestro. Uh, <laughs> He's decomposing. What did you think of this Bianca Belair-Diana Perrazzo match? I thought that it needed more. Like, it's weird, right? So when you watch these matches that are filmed before the takeovers, they're a little bit jarring. One, because you're seeing something that's clearly after the takeover that you just saw. But two, because the production level is very high on them, sometimes when they don't go into second gear, it you feel the absence of it. You feel them sort of working down in the match. And I didn't think that this match ever fully settled in. And I also don't think that Bianca really committed one way or another in terms of is she working face or heel. And... I like her character as the EST, and it's cocky. It's kind of like Sasha Banks with the boss, where the arrogance thing sort of leaves you as a bit of a tweener, but especially with Deanna Perrazzo, like, there was a little bit too much guessing that I was still having to do as, like, who's good guy, who's bad guy here. Well, yeah, and they also, she didn't use the hair whip gimmick. Exactly, yeah. Which has been her thing for, for heelishness. I, ju- I just think, I think the moment got the better of Bianca a little bit in this match, because this is the biggest crowd she's ever worked in front of. Um, you know, and she, she's, she hasn't been in the business very, very long. I, I think I think there were some nerves there. I think I think Deanna's great, and I think her job in NXT is mostly. I mean, last time she was here, she was kind of a. Uh, she was enhancement talent the last time she was here, but they've given her a little bit more. She's she's still enhancement talent, I think, uh, for now, but she's more on on a higher level of enhancement talent. Like she will get some wins over over like the Aaliyahs. Of NXT. She's moving into the Lacey Evans tier right now, is what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, she, she, she's, she's on a wait-and-see platform where I think a lot of people expected her to come in and be, you know, pushed to the moon in the division. And I don't think, I, I think she's on the slow build to see what they have with her and see, you know, how she adapts to the quote-unquote WWE style. And I just, I just think the two of them haven't worked together that much so I, I think it kind of came off as uh, as a little bit uh, clunky at, at times, but I, I I do like both of them. I love Bianca Belair's. You know, she's if if they ever do a match with some insane spot somewhere, Bianca Belair's probably gonna be the one asked to do it because she's just an athletic. She's got a real it factor about her, but I, I I noticed, and I was actually watching this with a friend too, and his comment was. He noticed that she was new to the ring, but she's just got so much raw athleticism that it does compensate in a lot of ways. Like, you can tell that if she puts in a little bit more work, it's going to be there for her. The thing thing that's going to really kill her in some ways, in my opinion, as she's moving up, and the NXT tapings happened tonight, and some things happened there, but if they have her play up the heelishness and it kind of becomes clownish to the point where it over overshadows her athletic abilities in the ring i could see her becoming almost having a patrick clark problem at times okay where 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 her personality is really getting over and and the work hasn't quite got there yet so that she may have to do like crazy things to make up for that it's gonna be interesting to see um i liked the zach gibson uh, Pete Dunn match. Pete Dunn, uh, bell to bell, best 
big match performer in WWE. Every time he comes out, he's just fantastic. Um, the ending to me was a bit goofy, though, with the mouth. I was about thing. to say that. The, the ending was pretty weak. And I actually will say that I thought that this was a bad Pete Dunne WWE match, but that's sort of oxymoronic because pretty much every Pete Dunne match in WWE has been excellent. I, I can't think of a match that he hasn't had that's been like bad or anything like below a 2.5 if I was going to rate it out of like five stars or the 2.5 being the median line or whatever. So it, it, ju- yeah. it just, it just screamed. We want you to have a good match, but we don't want you to steal the show on the pre-show. Absolutely. Here's the end. And the way they got you. out, yeah, the way they got out was just so weak and it made Zach Gibson look like a goob. There's a second gimmick for Zach Gibson that will be better than the gimmick he is currently working and he will be more successful in it. I don't know what it is yet. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I think the other problem is I think Gibson will be fine on, say, UK NXT. Once they get that show up and running, I think he'll be a good little heel foil on there. I, I, I think his problem is if they ever decide to bring him over to main NXT roster, you know, with, uh, you know, with Oni Lorcan... Danny and, Birch. Uh, I want to call him Martin Stone, but yeah, Danny Birch. These are, you know, they all have kind of the same, you know, bald guys who are great technically and, and kind of rough and, and tumble kind of guys, but not, you know, not the kind of guys that crowds get behind until they've had some grinding matches and it could be feast or famine for them. It, it's weird that they, they they have a lot of guys with similar looks now doing this kind of same thing. I think that'll be the only issue with him. Yeah, I agree, and uh, I think that's something he'll have to deal with. Um, what did you think about the EC3 and Velveteen Dream promos? Because I really liked EC3's promo style. We talked about on the last episode that EC3 is sometimes kind of comedic and cheesy, and I thought that this variation on his promo style actually got much closer to the type of EC3 characterization that I would like to see. And is he Kaiser Soze? <laughs> no, Kathy Kelly is Kaiser Soze. I told you that. Uh, <laughs> um, I, you know what? I liked it other than the fact that it didn't make sense with the, you know, I lost here, top 1%. I lo- you know, that kind of thing. It's it's It, 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 it was, was a little schizophrenic. The, the, the Lars thing at the end was weird, too. Oh, the burial of Lars. I think I think that's just to set him up as EC3 was trying to frame him for for the Alistair Black attack. And I, no, no, I'm, I've I'm got probably... that. It's just it's a weird character twist, is what I'm saying. I, I got that he's definitely trying to frame him. I I don't get why he's doing that and juxtaposing that off of the stuff that he was saying about Velveteen Dream to start the promo. Like we go, if you did a flow chart, we go in several different places narratively in his promo and that was a little bit hard to follow and and the velveteen dream part of it that uh I, it almost like they they forgot a word at the end there next wednesday next wednesday yeah and you're just like huh okay you know the crown on kathy bit was kind of cute and i'm you know what? If it turns out that Kathy Kelly and Velveteen Dream ended up killing Alistair Black, that'd be awesome. But I still think it's pretty much a straight-ahead story that's going to be Gargano. But you know, maybe they'll maybe they'll shock me in some way. Yeah, I think it ends up being Johnny. Yeah, main event of a two hundred five live. I loved it. I I absolutely adored uh, the Lucha House Party crew of uh, Lince Dorado and Grand Metalik versus. Buddy Murphy and Tony Nese, the uh, team muscle hamster, as I like to call them. But, you know, it, it's weird because Nice takes all these falls and he looks like an Adonis and you're just waiting for something them to do something with him. But but th- th- this match was insane in terms of in terms of the spots they were doing. But man, is this I, it's not the crowd. It's it's just the position they put him in, in, in that this is mostly a heatless feud of guys just doing great matches and without the heat th- this 205 live show that this is part of the reasons it's dying to me is they need to make a they need to make a change in characterization of people as opposed to kind of main roster presentation it needs to be a little bit more gritty 
for all these guys. Um, any thoughts on 205 Live? Oh, absolutely. So the Lucha House Party and Tony Nese and Buddy Murphy. Tony Nese and Buddy Murphy, I think, are guys who look really great together as a tag team. I love both of them individually. Yeah. Tony Nese, as you said, is a guy that I want to see them do a lot more with. The Lucha House Party are unbelievably talented. These guys keep having matches that are actually quite good, but they are buried on 205 Live. I was thinking about the 205 Live problem today, and I think that it would be doable for them to have a match on TakeOver, and the TakeOver specials now should feature a Cruiserweight yeah. title match, because what needs to be made clear about the 205 Live brand, and the way you could do that is by signaling through the TakeOvers, is that... The 205 Live brand is a place where good wrestling happens. TakeOver is a place Mm -hmm. that we know as WWE fans, good wrestling is going to occur. And so you have a high-caliber cruiserweight match to open up the TakeOver cards, which would be great anyways because cruiserweight wrestling is a good way to open up wrestling cards as it is. You have your best guys from 205 Live have a kick-ass opening 15-minute spirited brawl. Like, if you had the Lucha House Party and Tony Nese and Buddy Murphy opening a TakeOver, over, they would be fucking hot as hell coming out of that, and then people would want to see this feud, and this feud would have a lot more suction. So I think that's kind of how you fix this. I feel awful for the Lucha guys because they really are doing good work. It's just getting lost in the brand. I don't think that the heel trip ending is the start of the Lucha house party going heel. I I, I don't think. Uh, And if you want to switch gears here, Wale doing commentary was a lot more entertaining than the actual match between TJP, JPW, TJ Maxx versus Gnome Dar, who is not clicking as a babyface at all. No, and I, I really didn't like Wale on this commentary. No, I, was I, I thought he was a little he was bit zany. distracting. No, no, he's he's di- he's distracting. But like the match between TJP and Gnome Dar is silly. Yeah. and Gnome just isn't a good face. He's just not. He doesn't wrestle like a baby face. Yeah, he doesn't have have a personality really, other than you know being and they and they tried to do that with when he was paired with Alicia Fox, and it really wasn't you know is it it more annoying than than. It wasn't a real personality, so. but at least it was something closer to, like, there was a thing happening when he was paired with Alicia Fox that was close to a character, and what he's doing right now is further away from that. Yeah, and, and also, just, just to click on the other part part of 205 Live, I think, look, Drew Gulak, we, we've said it before and again, he's, he's one of the best things about this we show. We love him. But this was not good, right? This was not good. The, no, the, no, because it was almost because they don't like real anger and real animosity. It's that kind of that played up animosity thing where where you know you're doing Sam. I am. Yes, I am. I do not like green eggs and ham. What the hell was that, Jeff? Yeah, it, it's it's elementary school playground taunting and suffering succotash. Yeah, if you've ever yeah, uh, it, it, but it's it's what adults think playground taunting is as opposed to look, when I was on the playground, we were vicious and we <laughs> you know, we went there so to speak to if we wanted to anger somebody and if there was going to be a fight to be had, there'd be a fight to be had. They, they don't do that here. It's very cold and you know, it, it's it doesn't feel like when people go down, like when Cedric was going down to fight and and uh, Drake Maverick was like, no, no, we can't do that here. It it just it felt like you know, oh, hold me back, hold me back. You know, kind of, kind of, just it didn't feel like anybody really needed to restrain anybody, as opposed to say the. Uh, it didn't feel like anybody was restraining anybody. The way Drake Maverick was holding back Cedric Alexander, and the way Cedric Alexander was not really forcing the issue, and the way like nobody was actually struggling, it was weak. It lacked energy. Th- th- I kind of, sort of, almost get. I think what they're going for, which is the idea that Drew Gulak and assisted by the Brian Kendrick and Jack Gallagher, they're going to slowly chip away at Cedric's head and kind of get into his head and get him to make a mistake, get him to feed into his anger and take advantage of his anger. But this promo was weird and long. 
Oh, and speaking of Drake Maverick, are you ready for heel GM over on Raw again? Another heel Oh, my God. You know, the Baron Corbin thing. (laughs) The Baron Corbin thing. It's just... I, I get it. Yeah, I, I don't mind him. I, I mind the the notion that it's going to be more office politics as as compelling television, and you're just like, ugh, here we go again. I, I just... The GM situation on Monday Night Raw is something that has been tenuous. Kurt Angle has always been a bit of a weak spot whenever it comes to delivering any dialogue, uh, man, it's, it hasn't gotten better. It's been months now. I'm not hopeful about the Corbin thing. Stephanie back in the mix is, as I said, there's always this cloud of the authority that seems to still hang over Monday Night Raw. Like at any point, the authority could show back up again. Yeah, that's uh, I. But <laughs> I, I just I, it's going to happen again until Kurt makes his return. And apparently, he's training for an in-ring return. And Ooh, who's he going to be against? I don't, Oh, Corbin? Oh, boy. No. <laughs> no. Please, please, no. Or maybe a Survivor Series tag match between Corbin's team and Angle's team. I could see that, that there's a battle for Raw between Kurt Angle and Baron Corbin, and that's what we're training for right now. Yeah, and, and Corbin gets, you know, Dolph and Drew... And Angle gets, you know, Lashley and, and Finn, and they have like a five-on-five five match. Or Angle and the Shield. You you reunite the Shield with Angle. Yeah, I guess you could do that too. Yeah, that, 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 okay. I'll take that. That wouldn't be too bad. He's been an honorary member of the Shield before. Remember, they let him in for the one time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, maybe he still has the flak jacket. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Hopefully he can fit in it. <laughs> All SmackDown was was talking smack and fake fighting. That's what I loved about it. It was such a weird, violent, angry show, and I loved it. Um, with, with the exception of the the Lana, Rusev, you know, Zelina and and Almas match, which dreadful get get this thing away no 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 it's not over yet because Aiden ultimately has to betray Rusev and Lana and align himself with Andrade Cien Almas so this has to go on for a while oh yeah that's clearly where this is going oh you're so right you're so right and also because I think he can do sing Spanish because of the Guerrero connection um I yeah oh gosh you're right but uh you know the New Day wins the tag belts and just a just a brawl. That, that was, just a was a good match, wasn't that. it? Yeah, I really enjoyed God. that. Like, that was very, very enjoyable. And just uh, the double razor's edge, I don't know what they call it, that the bludgeons do is a great-looking move. You know, Joe and, and AJ and that promo, I loved, I loved, I loved Joe just coming out and then reaching into the camera and saying, Wendy, <laughs> I'm like, yes, this feels, this feels personal and I love it. It's just the best. And if you haven't seen it today, guys, go, go look at uh, the Wendy's restaurant Twitter account reaction to the promo because it's, it's, it's at, it's absolutely fantastic. The the Wendy's Twitter social media. Oh, they're guy really funny. Obvi- yeah, yeah. They're well. They're wrestling. There's a they're a wrestling fan, obviously too, because because it's a deep cut on that promo. Um, the one other thing, I guess. Peyton Royce in Naomi is not really clicking. The iconics are just not really clicking on SmackDown at all. I don't understand. I think it's just because. I, see, it's weird because I just think it's because they came out and, you know, you you beat one immediately, and I thought they might be saving Peyton for someone. But, I, you know, it's one of those things where if you don't get the time to build a match and you're doing these short main roster matches after having been off TV so long on NXT, I just think they never found their groove in some ways because I think both are very, very talented. I mean, Peyton's a former... Lance Storm student, so you know she knows how to do stuff in the no, ring. No, she can and, go and, in the ring. Know, Billy's the one that I've always found is a little bit shaky in the ring, but on and, the mic, I think that they have shown in the past, at least on NXT, that they have some sort of chemistry and have a way of getting 
heat with the audience that's not what they did this time, which was annoying, but, like, not annoying, like, I found it amusing and, like, it was getting heat in the way that you're supposed to get. It was just, like, God, go away. Go away. I, I don't like you. It would help if they changed up the act occasionally. That's true, as too. As opposed to just coming out and just doing the, the mean girls type thing, which is kind of the gimmick for everybody who's in the in the women's division. It, it's one of those... Those two also have to be competent cheaters. Yes, that that would help as well, and and they're not, and that that's that's my worry about Becky. Just to go back there is is once you become a heel, you become an incompetent B level villain boob. You know, oh, you know, you're the Riddler who's hiding out in the joke factory, as if Batman doesn't think, oh, I'll go to the joke factory and find the Riddler. You know, that that's you know, it's that kind of planning that they do. Um, the Riddler's a really good metaphor here because the Riddler's not any good in the actual head-up fight. So that's why, I, even though as much as I like Batman, I, I can go down this Batman wormhole with you, Hawkins. But that's why the Riddler narratives never really pay off. Because the setup is great. Yeah. All of the puzzles and everything the Riddler lays for Batman challenge Batman's mind and sort of take us on the mystery as well. But when it comes time for Batman to actually confront the Riddler, it's one to two punches in the Riddler's gut and he's done unless he's got some you know gadget or something. And that's the problem with the WWE yeah. heel is that they become the Riddler. They have all these traps. Carmella, she's got all these traps, but then you get her in the ring and she can't wrestle. And that works for one person. That works for one person. Carmella can do that. But what you're doing with Becky, especially with the story that you're trying to tell with Becky, you can't give her the Riddler treatment. Yeah, that's going to be an issue. But speaking of which, the resident Riddler, they're going to turn Daniel Bryan and Miz into a mixed tag team for Hell in the Cell. Oh, can we talk about mixed tag team matches real quick here? Because I really sure. don't like the WWE style of format for them, or they need to really rethink what match psychology rules are inside of a mixed tag match. Because in the Rusev and Lana versus Andrade San Almas and Zelina Vega match, there's this extended... Lana trying to go for the tag of Rusev and Zelina Vega trying to keep Lana from making the tag. And psychologically, it makes no sense. Yeah. And especially, <laughs> I I don't like mixed tag matches because I, I think the logic is eventually the man has to attack the woman, especially if it's the heel, in order to get heat. Or vice versa, the woman face has to attack the man in order to get this big yeah. heat spot, but then in comes the man baby face to save the woman baby face. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, because that's what they that's what they did with the Ronda match in WrestleMania, mm -hmm. if you remember. Mm -hmm. So, and I, I'm not a fan of intergender to begin with. I, I like the occasional heat spot, you know, to really get it over and to get a nice pop, and then to put it away for about six to eight months. You know, like. Uh, dusty elbowing baby doll which you know he even apologized for later knowing he was out of line but if you watch that spot like on an old nwa monster pop for that because everybody just wanted to see baby doll get what was coming to her so you know it, it's kind of like the uh the hurricane rana that uh zelina vega used to do the first time she did you're like oh man and then it's like every week she do it it's like okay oh man stop but we are getting Maurice back in the ring with Brie Bella. You get to hear your favorite half-step in all of music. Brie Mode! <laughs> no, I get to hear Pourquoi, hopefully, which is my favorite thing in wrestling. But, I, you know, it's... it's I, man, Brie wasn't exactly a ring technician. She was okay. Maurice still hasn't gotten back into shape after the after the pregnancy, and I don't say that as a slam. I say that as a worry about people's health and working in this ring. It just doesn't come back to you. You know, you have to work at it a bit, and she and Miz did an okay match against Cena and Nikki. I don't think the women are going to do a whole lot, considering both of them no. have not been in the ring very much. Over the last couple of years. They're going to set up for the baby face spots. You know, they we're going to get dueling yes kicks from them. We're going to get dueling, you know, attempts at yes kicks from, from, from Miz and, and Maurice. I, I, you know, it's, 
<laughs> again, it's we expect things like, oh, here comes the blood feud that's really going to make wrestling cool again. And, you know, WWE goes, eh, not so fast. We got the entertainment thing to think about. We're going to get a reality TV feud with two hot reality TV properties and their husbands. I heard Bree's music and my heart sank. And I mean, everything about the Miz and Daniel Bryan promo was. You know what, though? I'm going to defend that, though. I loved. I loved. Brie Bella coming in and slugging the Miz. I did. That part that's, was that's good. one of those. Sure. Yeah, no, that was one of those, those you know, moments you rarely see in terms of, of a woman coming in and just knocking the crap out of a guy and getting the pop because you haven't seen Brie in such a while. But now that they're going to be doing week-to-week stuff, I, I just expect, you know, I expect more of, uh, you know, Miz and Maurice probably imitating Bella and, and Daniel Bryan a couple times leading up to Hell in the Cell and then probably shenanigans to try and set up the third match yeah that's that's about right uh the thing that i was kind of cringing was just the your daniel bella line i the the promo just went to places that i didn't i don't think the promo for these two needs to go into the masculinity questioning stuff Uh, these guys have so much territory that they could be working on i just thought it was lazy writing no that no i i would agree there because that's that's the uh that's that's kind of the WWE standard for heat is ooh I'm gonna emasculate him and then then the crowd will go ooh you know and they did the crowd played along with it not not as much as you think but it's like they I think they were expecting a little bit more yeah yeah that's all I'm saying I I, I think it's lazy especially with the Miz and Daniel Bryan they've laid down all this rail just go down the track it's not that hard instead they're trying to turn this into a match between two reality television stars and their husbands as you said. Chris, where can the people find you on social media and whatnot? You can find me at C-H-R-I-S-N-O-V-E-M-B-R-I-N-O. That's at Chris Novembrino. I will have another episode of Lucha of the Hidden Temple out. Once again, I am flying solo one more time. Miles had scheduling commitments that took him other places this week, so one more solo so for me. And you can also find me doing news and politics over at Don't Worry About the Government. That is at Don'tWorry.tv. The most recent episode that I am about to put out is going to be on the 1992 Ross Perot debate with Bill Clinton and George Herbert Walker Bush, the second one. So if you want to watch that before we put that out here on Monday, go ahead and do that. I also host the All in the Family podcast, which you can find at allinthefamilypodcast.com. You can follow the show at Shake Them Ropes, all one word. You can follow me at Crap Game 13, full of snark, mostly wrestling related, sometimes pop culture related. I'm there. Uh, Chris, for next week, you're going to have to come up with NXT power rankings. Ooh, like how, how deep? 